Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we welcome Fidelity International Investment Director Tom Stevenson to the show as he reflects on the year that was and what we could expect in the global markets heading into 2024. Tom believes Europe, including the UK, is in a recession or showing signs it will be going into a recession, but he says it will be a much shallower recession than expected. That being said, in terms of sectors, what looks interesting at this point, one must look no further than government bonds. For him, the principal driver of the turn of the markets is bond yields. He believes the focus at the start of the turn will be in the bond market, specifically in the government bond market. He says the market is bottoming out sequentially. Tom says inflation and geopolitical issues continue to be risks to the market, but in his mind, 2022 was the year of anticipation and 2023 is looking ahead to a better 2024. Tom also touches on green energy, US-China relations, and the commodity super cycle and what that could mean for the UK. Today's podcast was recorded on November 23rd, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Actually, I would love it if we could just go directly to the PMI data that's come out. Um, Ultimately, everyone is watching this because of the response of where interest rate policy may go out of central banks. Give us a little bit of the lowdown of where we're seeing contraction and where ultimately you know, what that means really for the rate story. Yeah, so we had um, we had PMI data today, uh, both uh, here in the UK, but also in, in continental uh, Europe. Now, uh, you know, both, both economies uh, over here are going through a pretty dicky patch at the moment. And uh, indeed, it was the fourth month in a row uh, that the UK composite PMI uh, number was below 50. So that, that dividing line between expansion and contraction over in continental Europe it was the fifth month in a in a row um, but I would say if you if you sort of you know read between the lines the sort of mood music of, of those announcements the the European one felt a bit uh, more positive uh, in terms of the commentary uh, around cost pressures and uh, and those kinds of things it just feels like you know Europe may be Pulling, pulling through the worst, and I think you know things like the the energy prices. We've had a you know quite a significant fallback in uh, in energy prices uh, in Europe. That sort of crisis that we've been in really since the spring, since the invasion of Ukraine, seems to just be easing back uh, a little bit. So you know, I would say that both here in the UK and in Europe, we're definitely in recession or going into recession. I don't think that's going to be avoidable on this side uh, of the Atlantic. Um, but maybe it's going to be a shallower, um, maybe it's going to be a shallower recession than maybe we thought. I would say more so in Europe. I would say here in the UK, we've got quite a few sort of homegrown 
problems. Um, we had an we had an autumn statement, uh, a kind of budget uh, last week, which really cranked up the pressure on um, personal taxation, for example, not just personal taxation, corporate taxation as well. And, you know, I think that's going to feed through into into a tougher recession here than in the rest of Europe. I was reading one of your Telegraph articles, um, just a recent one. and But there is a real sort of tone of optimism um, for your outlook for, for 2023. So I guess this PMI latest data sort of tells us, tells you where you are, but where are you going? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think my optimism um, arises uh, on 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 two fronts. Really, the principal one is is central bank activity. You know, I I do think that the thing about markets is they are discounting mechanisms. They 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 are designed to look through the current headlines to to what's coming uh, down the track. And I think that markets are already beginning to focus on a likely peaking in inflation. Saw that in, in, in the US. I think it's probably closer to the peak there than it is here in Europe. But we're definitely getting to that stage where this move into recession is going to lead to lower uh, inflation. And that, in turn, is going to take the pressure off central banks to, to raise interest rates further than they have to, um, uh, further than they thought they would have to, you know, even quite recently. So I think that I think the key trigger for the markets next year is going to be that perceived peak in monetary policy squeeze. And I think that we're going to get there maybe a little bit sooner than we think. I think over in, uh, in the US, I see a peak in interest rates maybe in May. We're not going to get a big any more big jumbo uh, rate hikes. We've had four. We're not going to get any more. It'll be half a percentage point, then a quarter. And then I think it stops altogether in May. And I think that in turn will take the pressure off central banks over here uh, to do the same thing. And as we move into recession, they will they'll really be looking for that cover to uh, to to stop the squeeze on on interest rates. That, I think, is going to be very positive for the markets. And I think markets will turn a long time, months before the economy turns. Markets will turn, equity markets versus bond markets. And, and maybe we can talk a little bit about the sectors because um, there's there's a lot of discussion about where does leadership come from? You know, what what does, and it, it seems to maybe be too early to tell, but you know, what, what again starts to look pretty interesting soon or soonest? Okay, well, let, let, I mean, let's start with that. Let's start with that equity bond question because I think that that's very, very interesting. Because I think that this uh, this bottoming out of the market will happen sequentially. It's not. It's not all going to happen at the same time. And for me, because the principal driver of the turn in uh, markets is uh, is is bond yields. Uh, I think that the the the, the focus uh, the, the the start of the turn will be in the in the bond market and specifically in the government bond market. So that's where I think we start to see the upturn uh, first of all. And and really, I'm more optimistic about the outlook for government bonds than I have been in 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 a very long time. I think when you look at corporate bonds, they actually behave. They're a kind of hybrid investment. They behave. A bit like bonds and a bit, a bit like government bonds and a bit like um, shares because they, there is an element of company specific risk in the valuation of a corporate bond. So I think they come a bit later in the process because as we move through the recessionary uh, environment, it will take a bit longer. 
for the corporates than the government bonds to respond. And then finally, I think we see the turn um, maybe in the middle of the year. We see the turn in the equity market. And I think that will be the last to come to come out. So that would be the sequence, uh, the sequencing of, of the turn in, in the various different asset classes. In terms of uh, sectors, uh, I, I again, I think because because I'm expecting the turn in the equity market to be a bit a bit later on, I think there is an argument in the early months of next year to still remain quite defensive. Um, again, you've got to be a bit careful because some of the defensive sectors are actually quite expensive. If you look at the utilities, for example, they're actually quite quite highly rated. But I think there are there are other defensive uh, uh, sectors, the consumer staples, the consumer durables, uh, the telecoms, uh, which I think might be a, a, a pretty sensible place to be in the early part of next year. And then I think that you crank up the risk appetite as you move through the year. Fascinating. It's so it's so interesting to sort of see where some of these these bright spots might begin to to show themselves. Um, so I don't want to pour cold water on it, but I just want to get the sense of the the balance of risks that are still out there for Europe. So I mean, people will point to the weather. You know, how much does everyone need to spend on heating? And um, prices have come down, so that's helpful. Um, but the balance of risks, the war that is ongoing. I mean, what should investors sort of be thinking about as these pieces? Um, still exist. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I think all the same risks exist. I think we're just getting a bit more used to them, and the markets are starting to price those risks in. So clearly, there is still there is still an an inflation uh, risk, and until that inflation risk is seen to diminish, there is an interest rate risk as tall uh, as well. There is also a, clearly a geopolitical uh, risk at the moment. I mean, you know, if we look at the situation uh, in in Ukraine, there is no obvious end to that situation. It, we seem to have moved into a sort of position, uh, a, gr a grind forward uh, there. And and I think that as we move into the winter months, uh, it, it's 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 easy to see that sort of getting bogged down and, and not and not really improving. So I, I don't think that my I don't think that my essential uh, optimism and bullishness about the markets is a reflection of a particularly good situation, um, either economically or, or, or politically. It's really a, a matter of timing and the fact that that uh, I think what many people underestimate is the uh, is the predictive power of markets. They move well ahead of uh, of general improvements, and I think that we will see that again in 2023. I think 2022 was the year of anticipation. That was the year in which markets looked forward to a difficult 2023, and you know we saw some pretty pretty heavy losses. 2023 for me will be the year in which the markets start to look forward to a better. 2024. I think I think there's a ballad in there somewhere, Tom. I think you should write it there. I think there's something about that for the year of anticipation. I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about the discussion of the U.S. Chinese relationship. I mean, it, it's actually been fascinating, just sort of armchair view of it. But I'm very curious what you think about in terms of opportunities within Asia. Um, China has obviously gone through this very interesting part in its own political history. It's it's made its own history. The COVID situation is still very much there, but it does look like policy is going to start to open up. What does that mean for investors one way or the other? Yes. I, I mean, I think the situation in China has been 
very uh, interesting. In the in the run up to the to the to the Congress, there was a lot of anxiety about what would actually transpire, and uh, people thought they knew, you know, what what would happen. But I think people were sort of sitting on their hands and just not really wanting to do anything. I think after the after the uh, at the end of the at the end of the Congress, I think there was a bit of anxiety about whether the focus was really on economic growth or on common prosperity. I think as the dust settled, markets became a bit more relaxed about that. And they thought this is a pragmatic regime which is going to focus on on economic growth um, uh, and, it, and it will focus on the two things simultaneously. And then I think more recently, we've had a bit of a downward turn uh, in sentiment, which is largely to do with uh, the COVID situation. So if you look at the um, uh, if you look at the figures on covid infections uh, in China, we had that big spike in the spring, March, April, when Shanghai was was shut down. If you look at the figures now, they're right back up at those uh, at those peak levels. And if anything, it's a bit more concerning because it's more widespread. There are many cities which are in partial lockdown as opposed to one or two cities in complete lockdown. And so I think that's quite debilitating for the for the Chinese uh, economy. So I think we're going through a period of ups and downs uh, with regard to to the outlook uh, in China. In terms of the U.S.-China uh, relationship, obviously that also has its ups and downs. And there's been a lot of uh, commentary um, uh, and speculation about the, the, the about the Taiwan situation. My feeling is that both of these both of these uh, countries are extremely pragmatic and, you know, they they will do what is needed to to maintain their 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 common prosperity between the two countries and let alone within China. Yeah, I mean, that smile and the handshake was I mean, it was it was a photo op for the ages. I think I think a lot of people breathe the sigh of relief, at least temporarily. I mean, whether it means anything, it's hard to know. Absolutely, but. it's it's not in either side's interest to to, to upset that that uh, that mutual relationship. So the, we talked a lot about China, you know, months ago about about the property contagion. There, there's still swirling questions around that. To some extent, it seems like there's been a ring fencing of that. I mean, again, it's hard to know exactly where that all goes. But similarly, it's as money gets drawn out of um, out of economies around the world due to the, the tightening process. There are sort of these question marks about contagion and things. Crypto is the latest. We're seeing that, too. I wonder if you can comment mostly just just to sort of the idea of contagion that, that I think that's really there's some fear in the markets due to recession and, and the contagion builds on that. Do, do you see that as like a major risk or, again, sort of a ring fence situation? What, how do you take that? Well, I, I, it's a very interesting question, actually, this, this, this idea of contagion, because uh, and I think there's a really good example of that uh, here in the UK, actually related to the property that you mentioned in China. So what we had after that mini budget in in September was a lot of um, uh, anxiety in the markets, rising bond yields. We had that problem with the pension funds who who engaged in these um, these these contracts, um, which were were put at risk by sharply rising um, interest rates, and they had to offload uh, a whole load of, um, uh, of government bonds in order to meet their collateral. Uh, requirements. I was reading just today, uh, there was a parliamentary uh, session uh, discussing this. Someone was saying a, 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 a property sector expert was, was giving evidence to the parliamentary 
committee and it's saying that he estimated that uh, 500 billion pounds worth of bonds had been offloaded to meet these collateral um, uh, requirements. So really, you know, a, you know, a very significant and uh, systemically important offloading of, of, of debt. But the contagion issue actually is in a completely different sector. So a lot of these pension funds also have big property holdings. And in order to raise money to meet these collateral uh, requirements, they've been trying to offload uh, property. Pro the commercial property market in, in the UK feels to me like an area of real concern. I think that there is a lot of um, uh, a lot of anxiety. There are a lot of potential forced sellers in the commercial property market. And the market has changed out of all recognition because of the pandemic, because of uh, working patterns. There is an awful lot of um, uh, office space, which, frankly, will never get filled again. And um, I, I've been reading some, you know, some quite alarming um, uh, analysis of the commercial property market here in, in the UK. And it's all connected and it is all about contagion. So you get a problem in one area of the market, you know, the, the, the fixed income government bond area of the market, and it spills over into the commercial property side of things as well. Right. So that's definitely one to watch. That's definitely one to watch. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I think a lot of people worried and and also sort of pointed to the fact that when this i mean it was it was giddy money in there for a long time and so it is going to cause these various disruptions and and versions of contagion yeah yeah, yeah. it absolutely was giddy money in the in in the real estate uh market i mean we are and 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 of course when you get a when you get a very significant shift in uh financial conditions with 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 rising bond yields you start to see you know, as, as the saying goes, you start to see who's been swimming naked. And, you know, you realize that, that a commercial property, an office building yielding two to three percent makes absolutely no sense when, you know, government bonds are yielding three and a half, four, four and a half percent. You know, you've got a super safe investment giving you a four and a half percent yield. And you've got, frankly, uh, a, a much more risky uh, investment, which is exposed to all the changes in the global economy, yielding two and a half percent. And something has to give. And what has to give is property prices. Um, it's fascinating. Where, where do you see? Um, um, oh, you know, I just forgot. I was looking at something else and I thought, oh, I'm just going to ask you that next. Um, yeah, just on the asset allocation, essentially, for, for 2023. I mean, some something along those lines. But I mean, it probably goes back to what you said about bonds and, and those being interesting first um, in, in next year. But uh, do you expect to see different asset allocation strategies sort of come to the fore? Well, I think there's also there's also a geographic uh, element to this to, to this as, asset allocation uh, question. And, and I've been looking at you know, various different uh, geographies uh, in, in this regard. And they are the valuations that we're seeing around the world are very different. So if you look at the, you know, you look at the U.S. market, for example, uh, now there's been a big valuation reset there. Start of the year, we were looking at, um, you, you know, a, 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 an earnings multiple, unexpected earnings of maybe 24 times. Uh, that's come down to sort of 15 or 16. But that is still massively more expensive than, for example, the U.K. market, where the FTSE 100, um, which 
you rightly said at the beginning is actually trading at a at a you know at a at a recent high but it is still trading on nine times earnings it's on the single digit pe multiple uh, which you know is a is a reflection of the problems with that the uk economy faces but you know as ever in investment there is a price for everything and as a very strong argument but you know nine times earnings is is just too cheap for a market which is considerably more stable politically than it was uh 2 3 months ago um and you know in due course will come out of the recession and i think you know we're starting to see some quite interesting buying opportunities in various markets around the world i'd include japan in that uh, mm. another very cheap market coming out of the pandemic uh definitely include the 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 uk the european stock markets had a very very tough um 2022 fallen by 25 30% in 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 many cases so i think there's some very interesting valuation based opportunities what do you see on the energy and all and all sort of say you know a more green energy a more energy efficient story europe has had to move quickly on some of these fronts um hard to know how fast it'll all come together but what do you see do you see opportunities there at this stage i think i think the the renewable energy opportunity is you know probably the most interesting long term uh, investment opportunity i mean the scale of what needs to be done to transform the global uh, energy economy to make it more resilient uh, less uh, reliant on you know potentially untrustworthy uh, regimes uh it, it's it's it, uh, let alone the climate uh, issue if you put all those things together there is no doubt that a huge amount of investment is needed to go into uh renewable uh, energy now it needs to be made um more attractive because i mean the rules of economics are such that if something is profitable it will happen and you know that needs that's that that's a market question but it's also a government and a policy question um and i think that once all of that comes together and we've just had cop 27 and frankly it was a pretty disappointing uh, there wasn't much there was there no there wasn't much there and i think that that's a reflection of changed priorities you know when you've got an energy crisis the focus is is elsewhere and i think that accounts for the difference between cop 27 and cop 26 last year in glasgow uh, it's really the, the the war and the energy crisis it's changed people's um priorities but we're not talking about the short term we're not talking about a tactical thing we're talking about a multi year a multi decade investment opportunity and i think the transformation of the global energy economy is absolutely an amazing opportunity it's amazing now i know obviously in the football game coming up uh, canada versus belgium you'll be rooting for canada um that's absolutely that's, that's absolutely. a foregone conclusion um but tell us a little bit about um i mean the markets actually look reasonably quiet i'm wondering if everyone's watching football maybe that's the american thanksgiving effect too but uh i think there there well i i i have some i i have some evidence <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 do, I do an internal um, market report every um, every every Monday every Monday lunchtime, and unfortunately this this week's uh, market report coincided with England's first game in in the World Cup against Iran, and I did notice disappointingly low numbers for my market report. 
hard to, hard to believe that watching England play football is more important than hearing me talk about the markets, but apparently so. Okay. Um, most fascinating moment thus far. I mean, we're only, we're only you know, days into this, but I'm just curious if there's anything. I'm thinking of one particular upset, but you know, is there anything? What struck you? Uh, uh, what, in the football? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've had two big upsets, haven't we? I mean, uh, Argentina um, losing to Saudi Arabia and then um, uh, Japan beat Germany today. So amazing. Yeah, it so it's, uh, it's a controversial game. You know, we know that. Uh, but it's but it's also shaping up to be an interesting one from a sporting perspective as well. Yeah, no, it's it's really quite fascinating watching them in different times of the year and everything else. Okay, a couple of questions rolling in. I'll, I'll just get to these. They're follow-ups on, on things that you've been talking about, I think sparking interest. So one is a question about Germany moving to coal, what it might mean for markets. And, you know, I'm guessing you're going to say that's sort of the short-term strategy, but but maybe not longer term. But it is fascinating. I mean, watching some of this come back on the energy security side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think coal is very interesting and I think nuclear is very interesting. Now, of course, nuclear is not something that you can just switch on. Um, but uh, I, I think that certainly here in the UK, we've seen an acceleration uh, of um, uh, approvals for uh, uh, nuclear power stations. So, for example, we have a, we have a, a nuclear power station being built on the East Coast um, at Sizewell, and uh, and that is definitely being pushed through and, and accelerated. So I think in the short term, uh, it, it does it does change the uh, the the economics of the of the energy market. But I think I think it is a short term thing. I mean, this is you know we're not going to be in this situation for years and years, but we will have a climate crisis for years and years. Right. Interesting. The UK market has always been, uh, as has Canada, somewhat tilted towards commodities. Lots of the global commodity traders um, are listed in the UK. Um, so what does that, I mean, let's ask you about the, the commodity super cycle, whether what you think of that story, whether it's it's got legs itself, and, and then ultimately what that might mean for the UK. Yes, I, I think the commodities super cycle does have legs, um, but um, uh, it's certainly, uh, to labour the analogy, it's certainly limping along at the moment because, um, uh, I mean, if you look at the performance of, you know, many key commodities over the last year, it's been, it's been pretty shocking. Um, you know, yeah. copper down about 15 percent uh, uh, over over the year. However, I do think that, again, it's a bit like the renewable energy situation. The long term story for um, many uh, commodities, especially, um, you know, rare metals, uh, the whole electrification of transport, uh, you know, is a is a is a is a real driver of, of that commodity super cycle. So I do think that 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 is real. It has legs. And I do think it will be a, of benefit to markets, you know, like the UK and Canada, which are which are heavily exposed to those. Yeah, it's fascinating to get the view and, and actually to see the shift, because it, it does sound from listening to you that, the, that there has been a shift. I uh, look forward to, to catching up with you, I'm sure, in the new year. And if we don't see you till then, all the best for the holidays. Thank you so much, Pamela. Lovely to talk to you again. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. 
Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.